Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, there's a new financial assistance program for small businesses in Sandy Springs. Longtime Mayor Rusty Paul shares the details. We've got about $1.2 million dollars. It's not a rope, it's a thread, you know, with help coming, hopefully, a stimulus package coming from Washington again that will extend some help to these businesses. Maybe by packaging all these together, we can, we're not going to be able to save every business. We're, mm-hmm. we're not under any illusions. But if we can save as many as we can, what we can do, then we think it's a worthwhile uh, investment in our community. That conversation coming up in just a moment. But first this, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says his office will conduct a statewide study of absentee ballot signatures from the November election. Now, Raffensperger says there is no evidence of widespread fraud, but added he is launching the study to fight the baseless claims by President Donald Trump and other Republicans. In my office, we will continue to present the facts in a respectful manner. We will continue to try and answer each and every question. The facts are on our side. The Secretary of State's office will work with a research team from the University of Georgia to conduct this study. Now, a separate audit of absentee ballot signatures will take place in Cobb County starting next week due to specific allegations of irregularities there. Now, Raffensperger also continues to urge all eligible Georgia voters to participate in the upcoming January 5th Senate runoff elections. According to his office, more than 700,000 Georgians have cast ballots so far. Senator Kelly Leffler is one. She cast her ballot yesterday. Afterwards, Leffler spoke with reporters and still refused to acknowledge President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College win. Look, there'll be a time for that if that becomes true. But, you know, the president has a right to every legal recourse, and we're letting that play out right now. Campaigning on behalf of Senator Leffler and Senator David Perdue, Vice President Mike Pence is in Georgia today. He'll be in Columbus and Macon. It's the vice president's fourth campaign trip to Georgia. Meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden was in Atlanta this week to rally support for the Democratic candidates, the Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Of course, all eyes will be on Georgia come January 5th as control of the U.S. Senate is at stake. In other news, there was another record number of COVID-19 hospitalizations in one day yesterday. According to the Georgia Department of Public Health, 3,221 people were hospitalized due to the virus. Now, at this time, 38,418 people in total have been hospitalized since March. And of those, 6,936 considered ICU admissions. Newly confirmed cases in general are also on the rise. 4,257 new cases were reported in Georgia yesterday. 
Now, currently, Georgia has recorded 488,338 COVID-19 cases since March. We know these are a lot of numbers, but it's important to bring it to you. Also, the number of deaths, 9,302. As always, our information comes from the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, the spike in hospitalizations and newly confirmed cases comes as initial vaccine doses are also being administered to health care workers. But as Georgia Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Kathleen Toomey noted earlier this week, it will be a while before the vaccine is available for non-essential workers. This is Closer Look. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. According to Yelp, you know, that's the business review and recommendation website and app, in their most recent economic impact report, it revealed that more than 160,000 businesses indicated on Yelp that they have temporarily closed, which was about a 23% increase since mid-July. Now, here's something else. Business closures have reached more than 97,000, and that represents 60% of those closed businesses. They will not be reopening. Well, locally, the city of Sandy Springs is trying to help keep businesses open. The city recently launched the City of Sandy Springs Small Business Relief Assistance Program. And joining me now, as he's been on this program so many times, he may hold the record, is Sandy Springs Mayor Rusty Paul. In fact, I think you were the very first mayor to appear on Closer Look Way back in the day in 2015. And you well, keep that's coming as back. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, Mayor Paul. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure, Rose. Good to be back with you. Before we talk about that relief assistance program, first, how are you and the fine citizens of Sandy Springs? How have y'all been doing during all of this? Well, it's been a challenge, not just from businesses, but from uh, everything. I mean, people are cooped up at home, can't get out. We've had challenges. We, we love our family, but when we spend too much time with them, it can get a little tense. And we've mm-hmm. had some increases in, in domestic calls with the police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so uh, we've had a, an uptick in suicides, which is tragic. Uh, really? And people feel isolated, alone. Uh, so this is a very difficult time for everybody. And what we've been trying to do I mean, a lot of people, as you indicated, are under economic stress, mm-hmm. uh, worried how they're going to pay the rent, how they're going to put food on the table uh, for their families. And when you have that kind of stress, uh, it makes all aspects of life uh, difficult. And we've tried to take the monies that we have and combine them with some of the federal funds that we've gotten to provide uh, relief for a broad swath of our community. We've put a lot of money into our community assistance uh, center, which uh, provides rental assistance and food support. We've uh, provided uh, assistance to uh, the Sandy Springs Mission and Los mm-hmm. Niños, uh, two uh, organizations that serve our Hispanic families in, in the community, trying to help them hold things together economically and also uh, just keep a roof over their head and food mm-hmm. on the table till we can get these vaccines circulated and uh, get the general population inoculated and hopefully sometime uh, in in the mid part of 2021 begin to return to normal and that's Mm -hmm. the big challenge that we're facing right now and mayor paul i want to go back a little bit have you 
implemented a mandatory mask or facial coverings. Right now, what are the measures in Sandy Springs that you are hoping that residents and businesses are adhering to? Well, early in the pandemic, back in March, we started taking steps uh, before you know, the, the the governor's position was that it initially we're going to allow each local jurisdiction to kind of respond to this mm-hmm. uh, based on the local uh, conditions on the ground. And so we were one of the first cities to begin encouraging people to uh, work in place, not get out. Uh, and then came the executive order, which and, and I, I supported the governor's executive order because it brought some there was a lot of chaos with every jurisdiction having a different set of rules and different procedures. Uh, if you went from Dunwoody to Sandy Springs to Roswell to uh, Alpharetta, everybody had a different set of circumstances. And so we needed some uniformity uh, to that. And I supported that part. Um, but uh, we were prescribed by the executive order from uh requiring face coverings, but later in the process, uh, the governor uh, allowed us to do that. And we were one of the first, in fact, he released his uh, executive order permitting local jurisdictions to require uh, facial coverings. And we were one of the first cities I announced literally within minutes after the executive order that we were going to a a facial cover mandate. And then that was ratified by the council at the next uh, council meeting. And that's been in place since then. We've encouraged from the very beginning uh, to follow the CDC uh, guidelines for coverings, facial Mm -hmm. coverings, for distancing, for hand washing, for all the things. We've tried to encourage that uh, from the very beginning. And even when we weren't allowed to necessarily mandate mask, we were strongly encouraging it. uh, and, And I keep I keep masking my car. So wherever I go, I grab one whenever I get out mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm following and, and leading by example uh, to show people how important it is. Mayor Paul, did you receive any pushback or, you know, concerns or even flat out criticism from some people about that decision? Rose, I'm a mayor. People criticize everything that we do out here, you know. But All right. So you were overwhelmingly, expecting huh? yeah. <laughs> Overwhelmingly. <laughs> Uh, the support from the community was, yes, we want to see some some mandate. In fact, the the strongest push was from people who wanted us to defy the governor's executive order and mandate a mask uh, requirement anyway. Uh, and uh, our, our city attorney and, and police chief and the other law enforcement said, look, we've got you can't require us to enforce something that's not enforceable. Mm-hmm. So uh, as much as we wanted to, we didn't do it until we were allowed to do it. But we did strongly encourage people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get a lot. Of, I mean, there were there were a handful of people. The overwhelming majority of the people that I heard from were supportive of a mask mandate. And uh, we were trying to get it uh, implemented as quickly as we, we legally could. Well, let me ask you this. I'm sure a lot of small business owners might have reached out to you to talk about their plight before you all were able to come up with this program what concerns did you have for your local businesses and particularly those maybe if it was a business that was part of a bigger chain maybe they'll be okay but those those mom and pop businesses those local neighborhood businesses that you and I know are so important to a neighborhood and to its community from the very beginning we we've really over the last six years put a real focus on bringing in good quality chef-driven restaurants in, into our community. We had a lot of success with that. Uh, we've had, uh, a trem- we, we went from being kind of a restaurant desert. We had a handful of very good restaurants uh, to really right now uh, a, a wide range of great different 
chef-driven restaurants that we've brought in. And we were real concerned that uh, that effort would be negated by the uh, coronavirus. So mm -hmm. what we did from the very beginning, and I use social, uh, the social media platforms, uh, my own personal social media platforms, as well as those of the city, to encourage people to go to the restaurants and uh, order and take out uh, from the very beginning. We, we mm -hmm. really pushed that. We promoted it. And a lot of restaurants, in fact, we even had a handful of restaurants because of that initiative. We're actually doing better at the very start of the, this because people were supportive of these businesses that had been feeding us and taking care of us uh, for so, so long. Uh, and they really rallied around it. And, and we've continued to do that. Uh, but at this point, you know, we're, uh, we're nine, ten months into this uh, pandemic. And... Uh, that alone is not going to be able to, to allow these businesses to survive. So we took some of the money that we've gotten, some of our own money, and we put together a fund uh, that we are operating through the Sandy Springs Development Authority. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're giving out, it's not huge amounts, but hopefully it, it will be enough to ease the pain, allow some of these businesses to keep their doors open and pay their employees so we've initiated that and uh, we've had had great success with it so far. Well, let's dissect that a little further, because with this small business relief assistance program, this is available to businesses with 99 or fewer employees. Is that true? Right. But most of them are much smaller than that. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them are like the, our restaurants, which may have, you know, a dozen or so uh, employees. Uh, that's where the bulk of the money has been going. We use the definition of a small business that the federal government uses, which is 99 or fewer employees. But the real truth is we're really targeting these very, as you said, mom and pop businesses, these entrepreneurs who've risked their life savings to start a restaurant or start a small business and through no fault of their own, no mismanagement, no bad business decisions, just just the circumstances we're facing today are, are threatened with losing their, their whole life savings because of these businesses going under. And we wanted to do what we could to throw a lifeline to them. And, and, and uh, you know, it's not much. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not a rope. It may be a thread, but we're throwing mm -hmm. what we've got. Well, I'm sure every little bit helps. But let me ask you this. Do the businesses have to indicate that they did indeed experience a loss of revenue because of the pandemic? Or is anyone eligible to apply to begin with? No, they have an application process that they mm -hmm. need to go through, fill out the application uh, we need to make sure that uh, the money is going into their business and they're using it to pay bills and in, at salaries and, and whatever, rent. Uh, so there is a process. And, uh, you know, we, we will, uh, through the Development Authority, which is the organization, the city's organization that we're using to disperse these funds, you know, we'll, we'll provide oversight and making sure that the monies are used in the way that they're intended to keep these doors open to these small uh, micro businesses and, 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 and these local restaurants and other businesses that are vital to our community. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we, we, it's, it's not going to be an onerous audit kind of thing, but mm -hmm. we'll, we'll require some certification showing that they've used the money wisely and properly. And how much is being allocated for this, Mayor? We've got about $1.2 million dollars. Uh, again, it's not a rope, it's a thread, yeah. but, uh, you know, with, with help coming, hopefully a stimulus package coming from Washington again, that will extend some help to these businesses. Maybe by packaging all these together, we can, uh, 
we're not going to be able to save every business. We're, mm-hmm. we're not under any illusions. But if we can save as many as we can uh, with what we can do, then, then we think it's a worthwhile uh, investment in our community. And you all also have this temporary outside dining operations permit that you're allowing as well. We have tried to be as flexible, Rose, as we could possibly be to give these businesses the opportunity to operate under the constraints that we all face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, we've we've adapted our ordinances to encourage and allow outdoor dining, particularly when the weather was nice uh, starting in the spring and through the summer and early part of the fall. And those things have been helpful. Mm-hmm. The problem is now, obviously, we're getting into colder weather and dining outside may not be as uh, palatable as it was uh, in uh, in September and October. Mm-hmm. So uh, we understand that, that the situations are changing and we're going to have to do this, be as flexible as we possibly can and give it. We, we've allowed, for example, if you've got a liquor license, we're allowing restaurants to sell uh, beer and wine uh, from uh, retail. So that if you order dinner, you can also get your uh, your glass of wine uh, with your dinner. So we've tried to be as flexible in our operations and our in, in in everything that we do from a regulatory point of view to give these uh, small businesses, particularly the restaurants and the food establishments, the opportunity to just hang on until uh, better help arrives. Mm, uh, amen to that. A lot of people are hoping for that as we begin to wrap up mayor 2021 we're all hoping that it's going to be a different set of circumstances maybe not going back to what the normal was because for some folks normal wasn't good to begin with anyway but as you look at what you are hoping for 2021 for the city of sandy springs what are your priorities we want to get through this uh, particular crisis and and begin to build back to normal as you know rose we we have a real a significant investment in arts and entertainment in Sandy Springs. We've got four performance venues, uh, and they've been dark since March. Mm-hmm. We want to get it, and 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 it's very important for our community. We just we just had a Christmas parade, a holiday winter holiday parade, uh, which was you know the staff was very innovative. We wanted to keep it going, and rather than the citizens standing on the sidewalk and the parade going by them, we allowed the the we put the parade on the sidewalk and then the citizens drove by and and saw the performers and it we had it was so oversubscribed we had we had we anticipated 500 cars we had a thousand and we had to turn away probably that many more because we just didn't have the ability and the performers were out there in the rain for two hours solid performing just to give a little bit of holiday spirit to Mm -hmm. our community and it was so well it was so well received and we want to get back to doing those kinds of things so that we can build this community and build this community spirit. It's great to be a Sandy Springer. If you live somewhere else and you're looking for a great place to live, we have houses for sale. We have apartments for rent. Come to Sandy Springs. It's a great place. And we want to be able to get these venues back up and operating so that we can provide the arts and cultural and entertainment venues that mm-hmm. we have and, and bring bring our people back. Y'all got some get affordable housing out home. there in, in Sandy Springs, we do. Mayor Paul. We do. <laughs> you know, and we're you know, that's the we're, issue we're, around these parts. Well, we just uh, approved a housing study t- uh, last night. We've done an assessment. We know where what we've uh, what we're missing, and we've authorized a study to begin to help us figure out what policies we need mm-hmm. to fill in some of the gaps. So we're trying. We're trying to. We, we want uh, everybody who uh, loves a good quality of life to 
consider coming to Sandy Springs. And finally, Mayor, for those who are listening in the Sandy Springs small business community, is there a deadline to apply for the funds? Are you encouraging people to go ahead and get that application in? Because it's $1.2 million, but as you said, you know, it could run out, and it may not be a lot, but every little bit helps. Yes, I wouldn't hesitate because we've already received enough applications for all but about 300000 of it. Uh, and so uh, if you're if you're a small business in Sandy Springs and you need some assistance, I would t- don't turn off your radio, but I would get on the phone right now and, and, and go online to our website and get the information, get your application in because it's going to go and it'll be gone very quickly. Uh, if we get more money uh, from any of the stimuluses, we'll 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 try and augment this down the road. But at least this tranche, I would uh, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd get there and, and, and get in line as quickly as possible. And also, Mayor, you know, this past summer, I know that you attended some of the protests as it relates to racial justice or racial injustice. You were out there with some of the protesters. You talked to them. You were in your mask. I saw the photos. You encouraged them, believe it, I want to quote you here, to don't let it stop there. Take action. I'm curious, what was your takeaway from, from this summer and, and what you were able to see not just throughout the nation, but right there in your own city in Sandy Springs. Well, Rose, you know my background. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama in the mm-hmm. 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember re- being able to read the signs. And I, my grandmother didn't drive. We rode the Birmingham bus, and I've, I'm old enough that I people had to get up and let me and my grandmother sit down. So this is something that's been on my conscience uh, all my life. Uh, and... Uh, I, I thought when we, I'll be honest, I was a little naive. I thought when we elected Barack Obama president that we had put a lot of the racial problems behind us, but that was a naive thought on my part. And I've come to understand this summer, particularly with the events in Minneapolis, Brunswick, and here in the city of Atlanta, uh, that we still have a long way to go. And you can't fix problems. You can't deal with difficult problems unless you're willing to talk about them and bring people of different backgrounds and different viewpoints together and, and, and look for new solutions. I've, I've come to understand that, that racial justice is not a destination. It's a journey. It's, it's going to take us a long time, unfortunately. But we all have to contribute to what we can do to make life better and bring people as, as, as somebody in one of our civic dinners, we had uh, uh, over 40 dinners mm-hmm. uh, with our community. And one of them told the, the difference between diversity and inclusion, you know, diversity is uh, being invited to the ball. Uh, inclusion is being asked to dance. And I thought that was a marvelous description of the challenge we've got in front of us. My goal is to make sure that every person who lives in Sandy Springs feels that they're a significant and important contributing member of our community. And I've come to understand through this process that we've got a lot of work to do and uh, I'm committed to doing the work. And we'll see how we'll see how far down that journey we can go. Rusty Paul, the mayor of the city of Sandy Springs, as always, Mayor, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Glad to have you back on the program. Happy holidays to you, Mayor. Well, thanks to you as well. And I always enjoyed our conversations. And anytime you uh, want me to come back, just extend the invoca- invitation and I'll be here. All right. I appreciate it. Take care All now. Right, thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. 
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It was the most economically distressed time in our nation's history since the Great Depression. It's what we call this coronavirus pandemic. There was no how-to template for our government. Here's President Donald Trump back on March 13th addressing the nation from the Rose Garden. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. But what was clear is this. There needed to be a public health and economic response to all of this. Now, what would come later, of course, with bipartisan support was the passing of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Legislation, or CARES Act. President Trump actually signed it into law on March 27th. Well, a lot has changed then. Now the nation is looking at about 15 million who have tested positive for the coronavirus, and the number of deaths continues to increase. And along with that, also the need from health care to housing to employment to food and so much more. It would seem fitting that the United Way of Greater Atlanta would be among the many agencies and organizations trying to help. So as we resume our conversations with area leaders during this pandemic, Joining me now to talk about what's been working and the challenges that still exist in providing relief. Let's welcome longtime president and CEO of the United Way of Greater Atlanta, Milton Little. Good to have you back. It's been some time. Thanks for taking the time. It has been a minute, Rose. I think all of us have been a little bit busy. Yeah, let's begin there. I think I've asked this question about 112 times, but how do you sum up this year, Milton Little? Uh, I would sum it up as the most challenging, certainly I've ever had in my professional career, but I think this is a, a year that has has taken a toll on every person uh, imaginable. Mm-hmm. You know, in past uh, disasters, some people have uh, just been able to sort of skate by without uh, any uh, touch, mm-hmm. but all of us have been touched by the pandemic in one shape or uh, another. Well, let's talk about your organization. Uh, how have how have the United Way of Greater Atlanta employees and the many departments that you have, how have y'all been faring through all of this? As a nonprofit organization, we have fared like other nonprofits. Uh, we've seen fundraising change dramatically. Uh, we rely on a workplace campaign for mm-hmm. Uh, upwards of 60% of our annual uh, funding. Many of the companies that support us have uh, have shut things down, uh, have had to change their um, timetable for any fundraising they may do for United Way. We've seen massive layoffs and uh, and furloughs in, in a number of companies. And so our uh, fundraising has been impacted just as other nonprofits. Uh, At the same time, we have seen more demands for what we do uh, than ever before. So it's that that strange conundrum of uh, at the moment when your fundraising is most challenged, uh, that's when people need your services. uh, 
Have you all had to furlough employees or have you had any layoffs? Uh, unfortunately, um, we lost about 30 positions uh, at the beginning of this um, fiscal year. Our fiscal year runs from July 1st to June 30th. We did a lot of intelligence gathering in the spring um, to assess what our fundraising was going to look like. And the numbers told us uh, that uh, we would need to make some significant uh, headcount reductions in order for our expenses to uh, be in line with the anticipated revenues for the year. Will you be able to bring those positions back or they are definitely gone? Well, it all, all of it depends on what the fundraising does. Uh, if we're fortunate enough and see uh, that we uh, are better than uh, our predictions, uh, we'll make some decisions about what that means for us in terms of operational expense. If we're lucky, we'll be able to bring some people back. Mm -hmm. um, now it's too soon to tell. Well, did the United Way of Greater Atlanta receive any funding from the CARES Act solely for operations that was different from funding to continue your services? Yeah, well, the uh, the PPP uh, funds that we did get were for uh, operations, mm -hmm. um, the services that we provide, but for operations. And, and they were the same rules that applied uh, to other uh, organizations, for-profit or non-profit. So those dollars were... Uh, available to us to uh, hold on to headcount and to meet some other uh, operational expenses. Um, but at the point that those dollars could no longer uh, support us, mm -hmm. after they were expended, we had to, um, again, um, make sure our expenses were in line with our revenue. Mr. Little, what's your annual operating budget? I'm curious. Uh, our annual operating budget's about $16 million, mm -hmm. you know, on, a, on an annual revenue of about $100 million. Now, did you all receive funding through the CARES Act to continue support and relief services as well? So what we have is a contract with the city of Atlanta okay. for a very specific uh, set of activities related to um, CARES, mm -hmm. uh, and that is housing eviction um, support. Uh, we also are doing some things in Gwinnett um, with some similar kinds of, of money. So um, that's what we have gotten from mm -hmm. uh, through the federal government uh, by way of City of Atlanta contract. Did the state kick anything in? Not directly to United Way, but we have been involved in um, projects around homelessness and other mm -hmm. supports uh, where um, state money uh, has uh, has been provided. So I want to go back to March and April then, because I imagine you all did see a strong need from the community, obviously, and I'm imagining it was around housing. Were there any other quality of life areas that you all saw a strong need from the community needing assistance? Oh, absolutely. You know, immediately when um, um, things began to shut down, we launched a... Uh, COVID-19 Response and Recovery Fund with the Community Foundation of Atlanta, and were successful in raising about $25 million uh, for that, uh, for, to be able to make investments across a range of issues. You mentioned housing as one. Um, food insecurity was probably the first thing that became apparent. I think all of us just need to go back to newspaper headlines and news stories and visuals of mm -hmm. people on... Um, food bank lines, 
And so a significant portion of the money was spent on uh, food insecurity and, and partners with Atlanta Community Food Bank and other uh, organizations. We also were investing in um, education mm-hmm. because it's easy to say we're closing the schools and everybody's got to go online. Uh, but what is the case across greater Atlanta in too many situations is that people lacked access to either the hardware or the high speed uh, activity that was required for the online learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had to make some investments in, uh, to, in those areas to support uh, young people so that they could continue their ed- education. And there were a range of other issues related to emergency financial assistance and a, and a range of, uh, of other topics. So housing, food insecurity, education. And I want to get for clarity for our listeners, because when we hear United Way of Greater Atlanta, define the boundaries you all are able to provide support for. So our United Way covers 13 counties mm-hmm. uh, across Metro Atlanta. So we're going up north to, to Cherokee. We're going out west to Douglas. We're going out east uh, Rockdale. We're south in Butts and uh, Fayette and, and that corridor down there. So roughly half the state's population is in the 13 counties that mm-hmm. we cover. So curious, Mr. Little, because when we talk about providing the support and resources and with, through your partners, was this a situation where United Way was just providing most of the funding? Break that down for our listeners. We work through uh, organizations. Um, so on the one hand, um, in, as I said, in partnership with Community Foundation, we raised the money. We had an advisory committee that um, made decisions on what the priorities were for the funding and who the organizations would were that would receive the money. And so we would make a grant to, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, who had come to us with a proposal that said they were going to buy uh, Chromebooks and they were going to provide uh, internet hotspots um, for uh, digital learning. Uh, and that's how we work. We work through organizations. So, we don't purchase the stuff ourselves. So because now comes mm-hmm. news reports about this $22 million that was allocated for housing assistance that was to be administered by the United Way of Greater Atlanta, correct? I want to make sure that's correct. Correct. Yep. And so Absolutely. Na- and so now the reports are there's been a challenge to distribute these funds. What happened here? So, you know, it's uh, number one, we have spent um, a significant portion of that money. We now have about 2,100 people in the pipeline. So I think at the end of the day, uh, we'll spend uh, more money than, uh, than we had uh, uh, told the city uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, the city would allow us to uh, expend additional uh, funds. So here's what happened. Number one, you had um, certainly a need, but you also had the moratorium. Mm -hmm. You had the CD moratorium, you had other moratorium. And so we have learned that many people confused moratorium, meaning with the idea that their uh, mortgage and rent was being forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have a sense of urgency to come forward. And so 
that was a, uh, a hurdle that we've had to deal with. A second hurdle was because of the pandemic and because of social distancing, um, it was not clear whether we'd be able to uh, put together face-to-face -face events so that you could have people come in uh, and register for the program. So we launched an online um, strategy. Mm -hmm. And I think that worked up to a point where we then began to encounter the digital divide with so many folks that didn't have access to the same kinds of things that I talked about related to digital learning. We would have required people to uh, load a, a copy of their lease on, on an online portal through their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And so we began to realize very quickly that we had to have a face-to-face -face strategy. So we ended up doing over a hundred face-to-face um, -face, um, meetings in, in um, at the Louder Milk Center on the United Way campus, mm -hmm. at individual apartment complexes where the numbers of people uh, who were at risk of eviction was pretty high. Uh, and so that helped turn things around. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a tremendous surge uh, in applications. And I think it's also been helped, Rose, by the fact that more and more people now know that the deadline is December 30th. Mm -hmm. uh, and got the combination of the moratoriums being lifted, the deadline uh, fast approaching, and the effectiveness of our outreach efforts that I think is all now leading to a pretty, pretty significant uh, number of uh, households to add to the already almost 4,000 that we had served uh, up through uh, early November. So you all have been in communication with the city of Atlanta because the reports were, because this money was not being utilized, it was gonna go back to the city to be used in other areas. So you all have been clear to them there still is a need so that all of that 22 million will still be used. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, but let me correct what you said. Mm -hmm. uh, so already, uh, Eight thousand, excuse me, eight million dollars has already been spent. Okay. Uh, since uh, the end of August, so you know, think about that. Three thousand households helped in uh, just a couple of months. So it wasn't the case that the money was not being spent. Um, we have now, as I said, twenty-one hundred people in the pipeline. So we anticipate being able to spend no less than eleven million dollars, and potentially. Uh, as much as uh, 14 of the 22. Okay, so it is clear then that, just want to be clear because, you know, you read reports just like I do. Um, mm -hmm. It is clear that the Atlanta City Council is not going to, is going to make sure that that, or at least to your knowledge, you believe that the Atlanta City Council will make sure that that money, whatever's remaining, will not go towards, as I believe the AJC put it, plugging other holes in the city's budget. Because so you I, all were you all were entrusted with administering this, so shouldn't you be allowed to continue it till the end of the year, which is the deadline, right? So so here are here are the the challenges. Number one, um, the money's got to be um, spent by December thirtieth. It's, it would be, it was deemed by us to be a responsible act to tell them uh, as quickly as possible how much we thought we could spend 
and if there was money that would be unspent mm -hmm. to the city to redeploy that to other COVID related, COVID eligible um, activities. And so it didn't, we could not go until December 28th mm -hmm. uh, and then come back to the city and say, oh, by the way, um, there's money left over here. Okay. So we decided um, after a lot of consultation with city officials to give them a conservative estimate in early no in early November of what we thought uh, the numbers would look like, mm. and always told them that there's a possibility that we could spend more, but we want to be real conservative so that you have at least adequate time to make some decisions about what your redeployment strategy might be. So y'all can still help folks, correct? We could, we could. And the city, the city council will uh, make some decisions about um, how much uh, we may get uh, of the money that we thought we might have to turn back. Have you been in contact with them? You have friends yes, over there. Yes, we have. Okay. Yes, we have. We've been meeting with city council um, pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I had two meetings with them last week. You know, Mr. Little, as we head into 2021, health experts warn, obviously, with the new coronavirus cases and increase in deaths and all those other lingering effects, that this nation is headed for some some tough times. What concerns do you have for United Way of Greater Atlanta and your ability to keep not only providing supports that's desperately needed, but also for the operations of your own organization? Well, I have a couple of, of concerns in that, that are not, not going to be different than any other nonprofit leader uh, in the community. Um, many smart people believe that the real um, challenge that any of us are going to have from a fundraising perspective is going to come uh, in the year 21. Mm -hmm. um, as difficult as things were in 2020, um, that the, the real effect is going to be in 2021. Mm -hmm. So um, if that is true, um, it's going to be another case where we've got that intersection of a high demand for the kinds of services that we support through the agencies as a result of our fundraising and the fact that our fundraising is challenged. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably one of the biggest issues. Second, we have seen unabated um, the food insecurity issue across greater Atlanta that I think is going to continue. And the, th the third thing that I worry about is mental health. Mm. Um, we have seen tremendous evidence of community stress, family stress, and individual stress uh, being suffered as a result of the pandemic. Uh, when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you don't know if you're going to be able to keep the roof over your head. You don't know if every cough that you have is evidence that you've caught the virus. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of these things, Rose, are, are compounding, um, particularly in communities that have been most disproportionately impacted by COVID. So I just say two things, and I say them all the time. Number one, um, the vaccine's not going to solve for some of these issues that I just described. And number two, in our rush to get back to normal, 
we can't go back to the old levels of food insecurity, economic insecurity, housing insecurity. We've got an opportunity to create a new Atlanta uh, based on what the pandemic has revealed, and we ought to be serious and intentional about um, bringing a lens of equity and social justice to, uh, to the rebuilding of Atlanta. I hear so many folks in leadership positions say that, what you've just said. And I want to be very clear and fair, too, because I've had so many conversations. There are a lot of organizations here in the Atlanta area that are doing some wonderful things, trying to do some wonderful wonderful things to help people but it does take partnerships it does take federal state local it's going you can't end homelessness with just one organization it takes a collaboration as you've been talking about yep when you assess what the Atlanta philanthropic community and the business community and the grassroots organizations uh, when you assess the ability for all of these organizations to come together um, do you think that so much more could be done or is it always just too much either red tape or logistics or whatever that's preventing mm-hmm. uh, greater collaborations and greater partnerships? This is 2020. You headed up United Way of Greater Atlanta, what, 2007? Yeah, 13 years. Yeah. Same year I started here. So see, now look where we are. Okay. You look where we are, yeah. in the same chairs, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so there have been you some know, great achievements, but I always, I always hear people saying the same thing. There's so much more to do, but there needs to be more collaborations and partnerships and maybe people's egos set aside and, you know, all that stuff. What's your response all, to that? All, all, all of those things, um, you know, I, I think are, are true. Um, But what's most true for me right now in this moment is the level of collaboration we've seen uh, during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Philanthropies come together in in partnership. Uh, We've seen nonprofit organizations collaborating in in new ways. Um, You know, at United Way, we say that United is the way forward. That speaks to this notion that there's no one organization, no one individual that's going to be able to make the change that all of us uh, need to see. Yes, there have been been hurdles uh, around collaboration. When I first started my career, uh, I heard somebody say collaboration among nonprofits was an unnatural act between non-consenting adults. We've got to we've got to get past that definition of collaboration. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah, but it it speaks to all the things that you talked about. Yeah. Ego and competition uh, and and a host of other things. And and I think there's there's just more work than any of us can do alone. Mm -hmm. And it's so much we are able to do when we do it together. And I think that this pandemic's if one of the lingering effects is going to be that we've learned that we can work with one another and not sacrifice our mission, not sacrifice our donors, and not sacrifice our impact. And I think I hope that lesson is one that we hold on to. Milton Little, longtime president and CEO of United Way of Greater Atlanta. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for the services you all are providing to those in need. Um, Perhaps next time we talk, we'll have a (laughs) <laughs> different type of conversation, huh? Maybe we'll be back in your studio. 
Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? It's, 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 wouldn't uh, that be nice? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you to my longtime friend and host of, uh, <laughs> of this important show. You make a difference in the community. And thanks for the opportunity to share what we're trying to do with your uh, listeners. Thank you so much. Take care now. All right. See you soon. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of the day's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.